Given the topic at hand, I wanted to talk to none other than California governor and maybe future president Gavin Newsom. So welcome to the Everything Allegedly studio, Mr. Gavin Newsom. So what's the topic of discussion? Well, I figured we would discuss something that you seem to be quite familiar with, uh, dangerous psychopaths. And since all of you ruling elite types pal around together, I was wondering if you could uh, tell us about George W. Bush. He was part of that whole Yale thing. Like the skull and bones Yale thing? Yeah, Yale thing. Yeah, tell me more. What do you think he was like there? Well, I think from one that he was probably a closet homosexual who did a lot of cocaine. Welcome back to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for joining me today. And that wasn't actually Gavin Newsom. <laughs> no, that was that was American Psycho. But Gavin Newsom is American Psycho. It is hard to tell them apart. It's basically the same person. So maybe it was Gavin Newsom. And uh, and what do you think? You think George W. Bush is a closeted homosexual? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. But uh, but I know you do have to do some gay stuff to get in to the Skull and Bones Club. So maybe not a closeted homosexual, but definitely gay for pay. Cocaine certainly helps with that, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you got to... Uh, never mind. I'm not going to get into the uh, Skull and Bones rituals. So let's just not go down that path this <laughs> early on in the podcast. But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for uh, downloading, uh, listening to the show, for sharing it, subscriptions to the show, all the stuff that you guys do uh, that has just made the last year and a half so uh, so enjoyable for me. I really do enjoy doing this. And uh, last week I mentioned that there would be some ads coming to the show. I think I might roll those ads out to uh, a larger audience, to uh, more of the... Uh, streaming services, or, or I should say, podcast services, because it does seem to be working out pretty well on the uh, on the test one. And I explained why I'm doing that in the last episode. But I do want to say that I don't have any control over these ads. I know sometimes I listen to other shows, uh, you know, alternative media shows and stuff, and I hear like an ad for uh, whatever COVID nineteen booster shots or something. I have no control over that. Basically, I just click. Yes, I want ads or no, I don't. There's really no preference. I so if you if you hear some ridiculous ads, sorry about that. If I get to the point where I'm doing ad reads, I promise I will only do ad reads for uh, products or services that I actually believe in because some of them are so cringy. Sometimes I listen to these uh, these shows, these alternative media, these really good shows that I enjoy, but the host is doing ad reads for just crap products the one that always gets me is this like vegetable powder that they're selling it's like a drink mix oh i just mix this scoop of vegetable powder in my whatever make some slop to drink and it makes me super healthy well that is total bullshit there's there's no i mean 
you can eat healthy whole foods, uh, and, and that's great if you, if you want to do that. But like mixing in a bunch of ground up vegetable powder into some nasty drink slop, that's not healthy. <laughs> I, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt. Might as well just take a multivitamin at that point. So anyway, that's just an example. We're not there yet, but if I do ad reads, I promise I will only do ad reads for the ones that I actually believe in. So anyway, that's the whole advertising strategy right now. Uh, it's working well to actually spread the podcast because, as I explained last time, the uh, the the podcast providers push the ones that are advertised. Anyway, and um, you might notice that this podcast, this episode is coming out a week late. It's also something else I'm trying where I notice that that the downloads sometimes remain constant, like a waveform. If you can imagine like an electrical waveform, whether I upload a show or not, the downloads sort of remain constant on the schedule that it's on. So I'm just kind of trying to switch it up, trying to uh, put it off by a week, see if I can, um, uh, I, I don't know, trick the algorithm a little or just see what happens. Still kind of learning all this stuff, still trying to, uh, you know, figure it out and optimize it the best I can. The show is growing really good and I just want to keep that going. So, uh, so bear with me on that. And then the, uh, the last little piece of news that just, I mean, there's been a lot of news since we had a, a, another episode, the last episode, but I do want to say that, uh, the one, the best bits of news, the ones I have just enjoyed so much since then are the moon landing stuff, man, <laughs> this, it couldn't be any more silly. Now, if you're not paying attention and if you don't already doubt the uh, kind of moon landing story. You're you're probably seeing these these news stories and just going, oh, these poor missions to the moon. They're so plagued with issues. It's just so difficult. But I know they're not actually going back to the moon. I know that they never went to the moon, and so they're not going back. <laughs> but if you've seen the news, you have seen that the uh, the U.S. Uh, whatever sent up one of their uh, their their rockets that's uh, you know in this this new mission to the moon uh, thing and uh, you know there was an issue with the gas tank I don't know somebody didn't somebody didn't check the fuel gauge or whatever before they were leaving and uh, didn't have enough gas for the trip something stupid as you can tell I, I don't really pay close attention because it's just nonsense and uh, the other one was this Japanese one that was a um, like a probe or something that was going to the moon. And, uh, and this one is having issues with the solar panels, so they can't transmit their videos and data back or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we'll just have another press conference in a week. <laughs> Nothing to see here. So it's like every step of the way, you know, they just keep kicking the can down the road. Every president in my lifetime has said we're going back to the moon. More men are going to walk. It's never going to happen. It's not happening. <laughs> so, uh, you know. At least until the uh, the deep fakes and the uh, and the CGI and whatever is kind of beyond our ability to detect it, it's not quite there yet. So, uh, so we're we're not going back to the moon. Sorry about that. And if you saw the the India moon landing, my goodness, <laughs> I I don't know how anyone saw that and they were like, yeah, that's legit. That's what's going on. Oh, maybe I'll post that on the uh, on the minds in case you don't know what I'm talking about. I'll post it on the minds page. Goodness gracious, it is comically ridiculous. 
But anyway, that's just the fun stuff. Man, I love seeing the failed moon missions because I know what's going on. I know what's really going on. <laughs> it's not the gas tanks. It's not the solar panels. It's none of that stuff. They ain't going. <laughs> anyway, enough of my rant. Let's get into the episode. Let's talk about the topic at hand. And that is, who are they? Who are they? I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them. Because we say this a lot. Those of us who are conspiracy theorists, alternative media, truthers, whatever you want to call us. We say they a lot. Like they are doing this and they planned this and they are the controllers of the world or whatever. You know, we say it a lot. We say they. It's a stand-in for the, uh, the, the, the controllers, the elites. But, uh, but we need to kind of pin them down because if you listen to alternative media, if you listen to, uh, you know, other conspiracy shows, it's a messy answer. You can't really point your finger really anywhere and say, yeah, that's who, that's who it is. That's who, that's who they is. You can never really point it down. But I'm going to do that today. And I think I've got a pretty good answer for it. So are you ready? Let's get right into it. Who are they? Well, it's the Jews, right? <laughs> and the Zionists. Right? It's a, no? Okay. <laughs> Uh, now that's only some of it, but but it is the Freemasons, right? It's definitely the Freemasons. Mm, yeah, again, but you know some of it. <laughs> and you know, by the way, Zionist Freemasons, basically the same thing. Um, but you know, it, it's also the Catholics, right? It's the Catholics because there's, there's crazy stuff going on at the Vatican, and um, like the Jesuits, they're like the CIA of the Catholic Church. So so yeah, yeah, it's the Catholics, right? Oh no, the the Illuminati, because that's the Illuminati. Uh, they're you know kind of in that same vein. That's who it is, right? Well, no, not really. So it's the government, it's the swamp, it's the alphabet agencies, it's the it's the Fed, it's the banks, it's the the international um, the Bank for International Settlements and Chase and BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, right? The World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, you know the guy with the evil villain outfit and the evil villain accent and then and it's bill gates and it's and it's fauci and it's anthony blinken and victoria newland and the bush family and henry kissinger right it's all it's all that but uh but that doesn't really explain it very well how do you how do you look at all that stuff you can't really identify i mean we can identify those things specifically but it's pretty difficult to look at that whole list and come up with like a comprehensive guide for how to pick out the they and that's what we have to do we have to identify so i hope i can give you a um a good unifying theory for this so that you can detect it and um <clears throat> what we're looking for is uh is is not a designation of of race or uh, or religion or even like corporate ethos or, or uh, uh, you know, like a group like Freemason, anything like that. We must look at the psyche because there is a common bizarre behavior amongst all of these kind of ruling elite and those organizations I mentioned, which they tend to rule up, excuse me, rule over. Now, these people are obsessed with control by any means. So if you can, try to imagine 
a whole group of people with no conscience, no guilt, no remorse, and no concern for the well-being of others. They have no shame, and they think that everyone else is a gullible fool. And that's a real group of people. That is a real group of people. They do exist. And in fact, there are millions of them. There are hundreds of millions of them. Who are these people? Well, they're people with antisocial personality disorder. I know it's not as fun as all the other things we point to, but that's really what it is. Antisocial personality disorder. And you might go, what is antisocial personality disorder? Because I think I have that. I'm antisocial. I love it when plans I have get canceled and I don't have to go to that party. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what antisocial disorder is. Basically, what I'm talking about is sociopaths and psychopaths. And sociopaths and psychopaths have some subtle differences. But for the sake of this podcast, we're not totally going to focus on that kind of going to be used interchangeably. Some in the uh, psychiatric profession think that uh, sociopaths and psychopaths are the same thing. Some think that they have differences. Anyway, let's not get caught up in that. But antisocial personality disorder is the clinical diagnosis or designation for sociopathy. And that's what we're going to focus on today is uh, this antisocial personality disorder. And now some of the symptoms of this disorder that a ton of people have is um, ignoring right and wrong. Now, when I I mention these things, I should say that these are actual clinical diagnosis. These are legit symptoms. So when I say these things, I'm not just saying them in the abstract. I'm not talking about cartoon characters. I'm talking about real human beings who live with the rest of us. Here on Earth. And so these symptoms, get back to them now, the antisocial personality disorder symptoms are ignoring wrong and right, right, lying, uh, treating others uh, harshly, and and not caring about others. Some of the traits have to do with um, conceitedness. Like, you have to imagine uh, conceitedness definitely being a part of this because To think that you're so great that you should run the lives of other people, that you should create the rules that everyone else should follow, sounds pretty conceited to me. So yeah, one of the traits, conceited. Uh, We have deceitfulness, which, um, you know, to lie, to achieve your goals, to propagandize, a lot of propaganda out there, and uh, to hide, you know, data and evidence. That's, that's definitely deceitfulness. And then uh, manipulation. <laughs> Excuse me. This is a big one with, uh, with sociopaths. Manipulation. And, uh, you know, controlling people with you know, threats of violence, scaring them with fake diseases. Does that uh, sound familiar? And, uh, you know, how about crafting narratives about entire groups of people to foment discord and to keep people fighting? That's pretty manipulative. So those are just a couple of the traits, but something I also liked that I found that I kind of want to go over here real quick is the, uh, the psychopathy checklist, which I mentioned, there may be some subtle differences between uh, sociopathy and and, uh, psychopathy, but 
let's go through this um, this uh, psychopathy checklist because I found it to be very interesting. There are 20 items here, but I'm going to read them off for you. So these would be the uh, the the checklist, the uh, kind of identifying characteristics of people who are uh, are psychopaths. Uh, item number one is glibness and superficial charm. All right, right there. <laughs> we got we got politicians in the first one. Um, and then we have grandiose sense of self-worth, you know, need for stimulation and proneness to boredom. We have pathological lying. We have conning and manipulation, lack of remorse and guilt, shallow affect, uh, lack of empathy, uh, parasitic lifestyle. Yeah, I'm looking at you, government. <laughs> uh, poor behavioral controls, promiscuous sexual behavior, um, early behavioral problems, lack of long-term goals, impulsive, irresponsible, failure to accept responsibility for one's own action. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, short-term marital relationships, juvenile delinquency, revocation of conditional release, and criminal versatility. Anyway, that's the uh, that's the checklist of uh, checklist of twenty items for psychopaths. And so you can see, these traits are not good. These are not things that we want to have uh, uh, in 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 our our fellow humans. You know that we're interacting with, especially those that are making decisions on our behalf. Because there are a lot of sociopaths around. A ton of them. And um, in fact, at least here in the U.S., it's about 4% of the population. So that's 1 in 25 people. 1 in 25 people could be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't get diagnosed very often. That's one of the problems. We'll get into that in a little bit. So yeah, 1 in 25 or 4%, that's a lot of people. Here in the U.S., that means there's probably mm, on the order of 14 million sociopaths. 14 million, that's a lot. And so worldwide, you're looking at like 280, uh, 280 million just with the straight numbers of 4%. Couldn't find a study or anything uh, regarding world population of sociopaths. But you can see it's a whole hell of a lot of people. So that list of organizations and uh, you know religious groups and uh, you know the, the banking cartels, the Illuminati, whatever. Everything I mentioned in the beginning could easily, easily be made up completely of, of uh, sociopaths because there's a hell of a lot of sociopaths running around. And you know what? The thing about them is they're probably in charge. They're the ones running things. Unfortunate as that is. Now, it's not all of them. Not all sociopaths are are great at uh, running everything. Uh, that's not quite how it works. But I will say that most of the people in charge are them. Well, that's because this personality type, this uh, disorder, is suited very well to ruling, to being part of, of this elite ruling class who can make decisions about their fellow man without being encumbered by, uh, you know, their, um, their, their feelings about their fellow, uh, humans, their, their, uh, 
you know, family members and uh, constituents, whatever it may be. And these people aren't loyal to a group. You know, we have this idea that, you know, most of the time they're working on behalf of some evil banking cartel or something. And yes, that's partly true because, you know, they may be company man and uh, they, they may want to, you know, rise through an organization and do what they have to do. But the thing about these people, these sociopaths, is they are really only looking out for themselves. They don't care at all for what happens to the people around them. So if that means putting up big numbers for a bank, if that means furthering your organization's agenda to climb up through those ranks, to enrich themselves, well, that's what they'll do. And a lot of these people have overlapping agendas, you know, especially here in the U.S., as we start to be run more and more by the corporations and not the people. I, I should start to. It's been going on for a long time. But you can see how these sociopaths that head up these organizations, uh, you know, how they get more and more in charge. And um, so this personality type, this sociopath, this, uh, this is the real they. When I say they, this is really what I'm talking about. Yes, we can put finer points on it when we're talking about specific things. But this sociopathic trait, this psychopathic trait, this really does sum up exactly what we're looking for uh, in the people that are mistreating us. This is how we can identify them. So let's talk more about it. Let's talk more about uh, this, this sociopathy and uh, what it means for the rest of us, because we, uh, those of us who are conscience bound, and I hope that's you, um, I would say if you're a sociopath and you're listening to my show that you might be offended right now, but probably not because <laughs> that's not really the way it works. If you're a sociopath, you probably don't give a shit what I'm saying right now about sociopaths. But anyway, those of us who are conscience bound, we might assume that having a conscience and thinking and, and, and subsequently acting the way that we do is universal amongst humans, but it is not. It is not universal amongst humans. And as I laid out, there are entire swaths of people where their conscience doesn't even exist, doesn't even exist at all. And they are among us, undetected for the most part. It's, it's a, a very minimally diagnosed disorder. And that's because it works really well for the people who have it. They don't have, uh, you know, unless they're caught up in something criminal or they're made to seek uh, a diagnosis of some kind or they're made to be evaluated, they're really not being treated for this thing that works pretty well for them. You have to imagine that if you didn't have a conscience to kind of slow you down and you could move through this life without having to ever consider your conscience, it would probably work pretty well for you, not for the people around you, but it would probably work pretty good for you. So hiding a lack of conscience is pretty darn easy for the people who are the sociopaths or the psychopaths because they use our bias against us. 
they use our assumption that conscience is universal against us because we have a bias um, toward decency. And that is not always what's going on when we're evaluating the people around us. So the sociopaths, they have no moral encumbrances and often no ethical encumbrances either. They can just go about life doing as they please with no guilt or remorse for their actions and the effect that it has on the people around them. It's kind of a scary thought when you think about those numbers I presented. 14 million of them running around the U.S. And based on these traits, I would say there's a hell of a lot of them in our government, in our corporations, and essentially the elites who are in charge. It's really hard for us to imagine that... um, They aren't concerned at all for the well-being of others. And this includes their own families. Now, this does exist on a scale. Not everyone is the highest level of sociopath. But the, the numbers I mentioned are for those that could be diagnosed. But yes, in the most severe cases, the people just don't care at all about their families. Now, a lot of times they will have families, and they will kind of do the minimum that it takes to get by, to keep up appearances. And and especially, you know, in in years past when that was a really important thing. And, um, you know, now you you can kind of get by without it. I think about all all of the, you know, unmarried senators and stuff who, yeah, I, I mean, first of all, they're probably gay, but second of all, they're probably sociopaths. So, you know, when, when you think about that, when you think about these, uh, you know, very successful and, you know, by all accounts, you know, uh, uh, nice looking uh, uh, guys uh, who, who are in the Senate, there's a whole swath of them that aren't married. It's like, what are you doing? Well, they probably just don't care. They're probably sociopaths or like I said, probably gay. I mean, in the case of Lindsey Graham, he's probably gay. Right? He is gay, allegedly, because everything on the show is allegedly. But anyway. You know, when I when I think about my own family and I think about the feelings that I feel for them, this kind of thing, these sociopath, these sociopathic traits, it's so foreign to me. Because I'm a prepper, I think about prepping a lot. I've mentioned my my uh my prepping in in episodes past and everything. But uh, one of the big prepping things is food. And and so I often, you know, think through these scenarios. What if we were hungry? What if there was a sustained, you know, food shortage, whatever. And just the thought of like my kids being hungry. Well, I would rather be starving than have them just be a little bit uncomfortable hungry because that is, that is how it works. That's how our altruism works. That's how it, it, it feels to be uh, connected with, with uh, our family, to other humans, and to want to minimize their suffering because to ease their suffering makes me feel better. So being uh, that I love my family, being that I am uh, encumbered by a conscience, you know, these things I project out onto the world and I assume that other people feel this way too, but they don't. They really don't. And that's a tough pill to swallow. Because, 
you know, I would think it's it's a pretty common emotion. I guess it is. 96% of people would probably agree. They probably feel the same way that I do about my family. I would give my life for them no problem. But that's not everyone. And Because life for sociopaths is different. It's totally different. The best way to understand the life of a sociopath is that it's basically like a game. Life just becomes a game, a game of points, really kind of a game of dopamine points, excuse me. And, um, you and I, again, I hope you, (laughs) but you and I are, are motivated by our connection to others, our love of others, our altruism, but sociopaths have different motivations. Some of those are money and power and authority and influence, and material possessions, and food, and sex. Now, I often refer to people as lizard people. And if you listen to the show on Spotify, you have probably seen the show graphics. And all of them have a picture of a lizard uh, doing, you know, it's themed to the show. So anyway, listen to the show on Spotify. You'll see those those themed uh, episode uh, uh, graphics. But anyway, they're all of lizards because I really love this lizard person uh, archetype. I think it's just the funniest thing ever. But that is because uh, when I was uh, getting sober, I learned a lot about this like lizard brain, this reptilian brain. And what it is, the reptilian brain is responsible for your your primitive drives that relate to things like thirst and hunger and sex and territory and your habits and your like procedural memory. Those are the things that make up your your reptilian brain, that very old part of your brain from way back in our evolution. I don't actually believe in evolution, but if I did, it's that very old part of the brain, that lizard primitive part of the brain. But the rest of us have a limbic system. And so that's that's kind of the second half of us. And, and the limbic system is basically the part of the brain with the amygdala and the hippocampus and the um, uh, uh, neocortex. And these are the things that are responsible for like conscious thought, language, reasoning, and uh, and emotions. And so when I refer to lizard people, I'm referring to that set of like, of, um, of, of brain, uh, functions that only the lizard, only the reptile has. And those emotions and feelings of the, uh, that the, that the rest of us have, um, are not included in the lizard people, i.e. the sociopaths. So there you go. <laughs> that's, that's why all of the, uh, the show graphics are of lizards are of reptiles. Anyway, like I said, they have a very, different set of motivation than those of us who are encumbered by a conscience. I should say they have a smaller set of motivations because they're lacking the entire emotional end of it. And so they end up finding their way into, uh, into jobs, into positions that take advantage of these dopamine hits from their motivations. So uh, they don't get a, a good, that warm feeling inside 
uh, from like helping out another person, from contributing to somebody else's success. You know, that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get, um, you know, from love or, or whatever motivates you. Well, they don't have that. They are looking for those uh, those primitive dopamine hits. So, so they tend to uh, get into jobs where they control people because that control over others is one of those dopamine hits. And so they find themselves, no surprise, and by the way, this is exactly what I would have assumed they, uh, jobs that they find, but I actually found lists of, of what jobs sociopaths have the most. And you guessed it, <laughs> it's things like, uh, politicians and police officers and doctors and uh, and psychiatrists. <laughs> That's a scary one, right? You don't want your psychiatrist being a sociopath, but hey, it's on the list. So they get a thrill out of controlling the lives of other people. And again, their 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 life is about this game. It's about these points, these tallies being put up on the board, and so. Um, they like to manipulate and bully other people just for the sake of doing it. Making people jump at, uh, at their demands gives them a thrill and it reinforces their idea of power. And they have no guilt for operating this way. None whatsoever. In fact, the first, the, 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 the uh, sociopathy, uh, psychopathy originally was called guiltlessness, that was the name given by um, uh, for the psychological uh, diagnosis, you know, before uh, whatever present day, what we call it now. It used to be called guiltlessness because they don't have guilt. And so when you think of some of these lizard people, uh, George Soros comes to mind. There is this interview of George Soros. And so I've mentioned him on the show before. He is your classic quintessential lizard person. The guy basically makes his fortunes by crashing the currencies of other countries. Essentially, he basically just sends a country into ruin. All of the fallout that happens from that, you know, people going broke and starving, you know, losing their possessions, whatever, you know, if economies collapse, there is a lot of, uh, just the humanitarian toll is massive. And anyway, that's how George Soros makes his living. And he is a billionaire many times over because of it. And you wonder, how could somebody do this? Well, it's because he's most certainly a sociopath or a psychopath, allegedly. Because again, everything here is allegedly. Nor am I a medical professional who is qualified to diagnose such things. But anyway, you know, you can find this interview of George Soros. He's being interviewed and he's talking about how he, when he was a boy, he was actually tasked with going around and rounding up his fellow Jews during the Holocaust. That's what he did. That's what he says he did as a young teenage boy. He was helping round up his fellow Jews for the Holocaust. And when they asked him, how did this make you feel? In the interview, the guy actually says, it was the most enjoyable time of my life. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a sociopath to me. Sounds like a psychopath to me. Again, not qualified to diagnose. But boy, does that guy check all the boxes. So anyway, there you go. Guiltlessness. Did he care that he rounded up his fellow Jews and sent them off to their death? Nope, he didn't care. It was enjoyable. 
And, you know, we care so much about these other human conditions. We care a lot about them. But um, they aren't even as close to as damaging as sociopathy. In fact, most time we can't even identify it. Most people don't know how to identify the sociopaths in their life. For one, because sociopaths are really good at hiding it. Their, their entire life is about hiding this, this thing they're afflicted by. And with all the focus of mental health and everything else we talk about, there's so little focus put on this very damaging, uh, specific human condition of sociopathy. When you think about things as crazy as like, you know, Epstein with his island and his ranch in New Mexico, and you think about, you know, Pizzagate, if you know what that is, I'm not going to get into it here. You just think about these awful things that, uh, and like government starving populations to death. Uh, that's what uh, that movie, Black Hawk Down, uh, in uh, in um, Somalia, you know, the government was just starving entire populations to death. It is unimaginable for the rest of us. Like, how could somebody do that? But they do. And so that's that's what we get. That is what we get when we are dealing with people who have their life experience has been reduced to a game. And all of us are the game pieces. You know, if you're playing a game of chess and you're just moving these inanimate objects around a board, well, it doesn't really matter to you who gets killed. Yeah, send the pawns out first because they aren't as useful to me. You know, keep the knights and the rooks, keep them a little more safe because their movements are much more beneficial to me. They can keep me alive longer. They are a more strategic piece to have around. So you can see, we are the game pieces to them because the human emotions, the human toll, the, um, you know, the things that give the rest of us life aren't even considered by them. And winning to them is just controlling all the game pieces. That's how they feel fulfilled. And furthermore, like I said, sending those pawns out to die, unfortunately, murder and taking somebody's life is the ultimate control over that person. It's the ultimate control over another. And so you can imagine these sociopaths directing armies to do this kind of thing at scale. Again, to the rest of us, totally unimaginable. But these people, the sociopaths, they are the war makers. They are the natural war makers. It is what they do. The rest of us would probably try to de-escalate a burgeoning war situation before sending thousands or tens of thousands or, or millions of souls to be wiped off the face of the earth. And all the damage that it does to all of their loved ones. We would think twice about it. We would consider the human toll, but not them. No, they don't care at all. And it doesn't even bother them later because self-awareness for them is totally impossible. Also, sociopaths think that the rest of us 
are being fake. It is impossible for them to realize our psyche. It's impossible for them to understand what is going on in the brains of a conscience-bound person. They think that they are the only ones who are brave and fearless enough to live authentically. That's how they think of us. They think we're idiots. They think we're rubes. Uh, and they think that we are, uh, they, they think that we are pathetic for acting upon our emotions or not acting on, on our emotions as it were, or I should say acting or, or not acting because of our emotions. But the truth is, or, or the reality is, at least according to the rest of us is, is that it is them who are living the fraudulent lives, right? Because the humanity the, the emotion, the feelings, all of that stuff is what makes being a human an authentic experience. The emotional connectedness, well, that is the central and most important part about what it means to be a human. So although they think of us as being fake, well, we can see that they are the ones living the fraudulent lives. And it's a shame. It really is a shame. It sucks that this thing exists because the way I'm talking about it, you it sounds like I'm talking about fantasy. It sounds like I'm talking about something that isn't real. It's very foreign to the rest of us. But it is unfortunate. It's real. We're dealing with a huge mismatch of tools and motivation in this game of humanity. And they have tools that the rest of us don't really use much. Sociopaths use different tools to achieve their ends. Um, some of these are like charm and charisma. That's not to say that everyone who has charm and charisma are a sociopath because they're not. But these are the type of things that sociopaths will use. Uh, they will kind of mesmerize their victims with, with charm and, and charisma. And uh, they have, have influential magnetism, which tends to come from their risk-taking. Uh, this is something that you probably recognize in, in your own life. We see it in action movies. We see it in, in all types of film where there is this like magnetism that comes from, from uh, risk-taking. We are drawn to it. Uh, they use sexual manipulation quite a lot. And uh, they use pity. Sociopaths love pity. They love it. They love victimhood because it allows them to act without getting caught because people give leniency to others that they perceive to be pathetic. So does that make sense? Did I say that right? Uh, they love they love pity because it allows them to kind of operate under the radar because when people pity them, uh, they others just think they're pathetic and they kind of give them leniency, let them do whatever they want. So sociopaths love pity. They also take pleasure in taking things from others. So uh, many of them uh, that I that I read about, they feel like they're evening the score. 
a lot of them, uh, they, they, they operate on pity and they think that they have been dealt an unfair hand. So by taking something from others, they feel like they're evening that score. So they take pleasure in taking things from others. Sociopaths love to use fear. They love to use fear as one of their tools. And, um, and boy, have we seen a lot of that. Haven't we seen a lot of that? COVID and the COVID before that, which was AIDS. And uh, all this talk now of nuclear bombs. Ooh, there's nuclear bombs coming. There's a war breaking out. So I'm not saying there's not a war breaking out, but uh, the the fear mongering with the, the nuclear bombs, you know, everyone thinks they're going to get a bomb dropped on them now. You know, the racial division, you know, most, I, I remember the 90s and 2000s. The racial division did not exist like it does today. But this is more fear. They are creating this division where groups hate each other. The religious groups hate each other. This is a tale as old as time. And this is because the people in charge are sociopaths and they are creating that fear. They want us to be fearful of our fellow man. Speaking of religious hatred, fake religious beliefs is also a tool that uh, sociopaths use because they aren't religious. (laughs) If you can imagine, right? Because what I'm about to say is probably controversial Maybe debatable, but not really. Because sociopaths can't be religious. Because salvation is about forgiveness of sins. In fact, the Bible says so much. It is explicit. And it says that uh, we must admit our sins and that we should uh, seek forgiveness for them. So how can you admit them if you don't even recognize them? A sociopath wouldn't even recognize most of these sins. That's a pretty scary concept, right? And, it, and, and it's at odds with most people's conception of, of humanity and religious salvation. But, um, but you kind of can't have both at once. You, you can't have uh, guiltlessness and, and also salvation, at least in the way that I understand it. So yeah, so yeah, fake religious beliefs, that, that is something that, that uh, defines, or, or I should say, is one of the tools of, of sociopaths. And you know what? <laughs> I've mentioned it before on the show. Uh, those clips from the 80s and 90s where, where, where all the politicians, because being a, you know, any form of Christian in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, that was a big deal. So, so the sociopaths they they faked their religious beliefs a lot, and um, you know the Bushes uh, <laughs> definitely did it. Bill Clinton, you know Bill Clinton, that great Baptist. You know Bill Clinton, the devout Baptist, right? And his wife Hillary, you know the Methodist. I mean, it's all nonsense, and it's preposterous to think that any of these people are being guided by their Christian faith because they don't act in that way, but they were using their, their fake religious beliefs to, uh, to get votes. And I guess it worked. Well, it worked in the case of bill, I guess not Hillary, but, uh, but Hey, you know what? Trump for that matter. If anyone thinks that that guy is being guided by the spirit, you know, I'm, come on. I've never heard him talk about anyone but himself. 
The dude is completely self-obsessed. Now, I'm not saying that uh, that he's probably not the, the better choice uh, between him and the also sociopathic, psychopathic Joe Biden, but it is what it is. I think most of these people who find themselves in these high positions of power are these sociopaths. You know, I remember this, uh, this one, I'll tell you the story. So I used to manage a uh, construction project in New York City. It was a big, uh, it was a high-rise building, big construction project, and it was right next to the Flatiron Building. The Flatiron Building is that building that looks like a wedge, and that building is right next to Madison Square Park. It overlooks uh, Madison Square Park. And it's a common place that park and that square there, it's a really common place for events. And um, the the street I was on, it's it's a it's a two way street. So anyway, it's a really uh, popular spot in New York City for things to to just happen. I saw all kinds of stuff when I was working down there managing that project. In fact, I saw Trump himself uh, from from my building because he came there to give a speech. But uh, this was on a different day. And I'll never forget this experience. There was, uh, you know, several black uh, suburbans that pulled up, you know, the kind that you would see in a, uh, you know, a political entourage of some kind. And, uh, and this guy steps out. He's got the blue suit, the dark blue suit. He's got the red tie. He's got the flag on his pin. He's got the, uh, the hair the hair that not a single hair is out of place, you know, the hair helmet. And of course he's got an entourage like full of yes people who are all chatting about, you know, these like pathetic hanger-ons, like, like Ramora, you know, stuck to him. And I, and I had this moment on the sidewalk and I, and I know, I, I don't know who this guy was. I, I know what he was, but I don't know who he was. And we had this moment of eye contact where I looked into his eyes, like directly, and it felt prolonged. I don't know if it was, but it did. And there was nothing. Like I saw into his eyes and there was nothing there. It was just blank. It was like looking uh, as you would, like at a robot or, or at a mannequin or something. It was just cold nothingness. And it was so bizarre and it was so uncanny that I'll never forget it. Because I, I walked away from it thinking, what in the hell did I just see? Because I know that guy's important. I know that guy's in charge of some shit. But that was so weird. That was like not a human that I just like had this weird interaction with. And I might sound crazy saying it, but I really felt it in that moment. It was so creepy. The guy was just like so slimy and greasy and plastic and fake and... um Man, it tripped me out. It was the lizard person. That's that's what I'm trying to say. I met a real life reptilian in that moment. It was such a trip. Anyway, <laughs> that guy was easy to spot for me because I because I had that creepy interaction. Super easy to spot for me. But most of these sociopaths, they're not easy to spot. Not by most people. Because they rely on us not questioning. That, that's how they sort of slip by, I should say slither by and do their thing because 
they take advantage of the authority positions that they um, usually are seeking. You know, most people won't question uh, a doctor or a police officer or an elected official or like a priest because they are they are exploiting their perceived benevolent positions. At, at least, you know, that's traditionally been the case. I hope more people are questioning them, you know, now, uh, given what we've been through. But, you know, we also tend to, as... Um, as conscience-bound people, we tend to doubt our own criticism of psychopaths because it runs so counter to other familiar human behavior to us. So we should try to rely more on our own judgment of people rather than write it off because it feels so different to us. Because good people question their own conscience. It's just a fact. And the obedience that is taught to us, well, sociopaths know how to use that against us, and they know how to exploit us um, um, with that. So, question everything. (laughs) Kind of what we try to do here. Because the thing is, sociopaths are not like us. They're not like us. They aren't like conscience-bound people at all. And yet, they completely walk among us. And, and as I've laid out, they're probably running things. Something that's interesting that I uh, read about uh, conscience-bound people. So unless, uh, unless on drugs, unless they have a psychiatric break, unless they are ordered by authority, um, conscience-bound people are incapable of... Things like murder, rape, torture, uh, taking somebody's life fortune or livelihood away for them, from them, or things like abandoning your own children. So think about that. Conscience-bound people, in the absence of those things I mentioned, you know, drugs, psychiatric breaks, whatever, are incapable of doing those awful things. Now, that's a, that's a strong statement, and I had to mull it over for a while and think about it, and then I thought, yeah, you know what? That is true. <coughs> Excuse me. I have mentioned here before, I have been to jail, and it was because of drugs, and I met a lot of people in there. These are not like hardened, criminal, evil people. Most of the people in jail are there because of drugs. They were there. They're there because um, they they got into some trouble. Uh, usually, it was petty crimes and whatnot. Of those who were there for you know violent crimes, uh, they were high on drugs. I met quite a few people like that, and so a lot of who's in prison are uh, people who are there for drug offenses. But about twenty percent of the prison population of violent criminals, they actually can be diagnosed. Uh, sociopaths and psychopaths, which is obviously like quite a bit higher, five times higher than the general population. So we know it does have some bearing. But like I said, unless on drugs, unless having a psychiatric break, conscience-bound people cannot commit those heinous things. So what I'm trying to say here is that a majority of these horrors 
these awful things that are happening in our world, in our society, are really being carried out by a small group of people or being spearheaded by a small group of people. So being aware of this, knowing this reality, it's kind of easy to look around and see how society has been structured for us. These unexplainable things we can kind of explain through this lens. We can kind of identify the they's through this lens. And conscience-bound people are unfortunately at an unfair advantage to seize control, to take power, and to do those awful things I just mentioned if it means getting ahead. Thank God for that. Thank God it's only 4%, right? So we kind of have to think about how um, the hierarchies of these organizations are kind of like gang members and gang leaders where the gang members might be whipped into this, this hate, this emotion, this, um, you know, this, this drive, this anger to do these things. But when you think about like the gang leaders, you think about just cold calculated and, you know, on a mission to achieve their ends. And in this game, in this, you know, kind of macro game of life that I'm talking about here, the gangs are the, you know, the black rocks of the world. And, uh, you know, right now in the current story, the, the Zionists who are, you know, just absolutely genociding the Palestinian people. It is awful. You know, the gangs are the governments of the world and um, all the other organizations that I mentioned at the beginning, because a lot of these organizations, I would venture to say most of these organizations are led by sociopaths. The low people, the rest of the organization, you know, they're just the worker bees. They just perform tasks. It's like when you think about Freemasons, when you think about the Freemasons, like are all of them sociopaths? Are all of them psychopaths? Well, no, obviously not. I know some of them. They're just like old guys in a frat, basically, because they don't know. It's kind of gay, actually, but <laughs> that's that's a different story for a different day. But anyway, uh, you know, they're not the ones pulling the strings of the organizations. They're not the ones controlling the organization. There are some sociopaths at the top steering that organization in the direction that they want it to go. And they can use that organization to achieve their ends in a cold and calculated way. Most of the guys are just there <clears throat> doing gay stuff. <laughs> uh. And the other thing about these, uh, these ruling elites, you know, people tend to assume that there's like some grand overarching plan. They kind of, uh, you know, like they're all getting a, a, an email blast or something and everyone's on the same page to achieve their dastardly ends. But, you know, it does, it's not really like that. It, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be an explicit plan. Um, you know, it's kind of implied sociopaths can, can identify each other. And usually there is a, a clear position um, for, you know, what is better for your fellow man and what is better for the they. 
There's there's a clear distinction between what is better for the people and what is better for the ruling class. And the sociopaths will always choose the op- option that favors them. And, you know, we see this over and over again. We see this in policy positions that are absolutely awful for the people. And yet it just keeps happening, just keeps happening without regard for our well-being, for our quality of life. And so it's important to remember, and and I'm going to wrap this up. It's not that these people hate you. Don't it's that they, they just don't consider you at all. They could care less if you live or die. They could care less if you're miserable. Like if your kids are injured by a vaccine, it's not because they hate you. It's because they don't care. And if your kid is injured by a vaccine, They have a customer for life. And so when you think about people like Anthony Fauci, how he, you know, was able to approve these deadly drug testing on orphan kids that they had to strap down. They had to strap down these poor orphan children and inject them with these deadly AIDS drugs, these painful AIDS drugs. You think about how in the hell could a person do that to another human being? But he can because he doesn't care at all because that's how sociopaths and psychopaths go through life. He doesn't care at all. So, you know, if you and your or you or, or your kid gets sent to die in a war, they don't care. It furthers their agenda. You know, Henry Kissinger wants to depopulate the third world with devastating wars. And, you know, if that means killing, you know, women and children and families in the process, you know, people with with souls and their own lives and their own feelings, their own emotions, their own connections to the rest of humanity. Well, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter at all. You know, if the monetary system uh, collapses or if they offshore all the jobs, you know, the death of the middle class, you know, your family could be literally starving, but they don't care. They don't care. And it's not because they hate you. It's because they don't think about you at all. They don't care. It doesn't even factor into the sociopath's mind. So don't be offended that they hate you because they aren't thinking about you at all. So anyway, we have to learn how to better identify these people. We have to learn how to remove their power over us. Because I think I've laid out a case here that, uh, that you can see it's not very good for us. Because really, when you think about the big picture, when you think about the macro implications of what I'm saying, the world's ills really are caused by these kinds of people. The way they live their lives leaves a trail of destruction. And and hopefully if enough people are aware, we can relegate them to positions of, you know, complete powerlessness. Now, I want to pose an ethical question to you before we go. And I am going to make this as pure as possible so that you can think through this in the most accurate way possible. So, Imagine that you could leave out any errors of diagnosis. Imagine you could tell with 100% accuracy who is a sociopath and who isn't. Would it be ethical to publicly mark them so that we could identify them and 
make sure that these people are not making decisions on our behalf? It's an interesting question, right? Because immediately a conscience-bound person, a decent person says, no, no, we shouldn't do that. That's terrible. Wait, to mark a person? To put this mark on them? But then you really have to consider the suffering and the human toll being caused by people who operate day in and day out without a conscience. And so it's an interesting question. I hope you can think about that one. I hope you can consider that question. I tend to fall on the side of yes. Uh, Maybe I'm a, maybe I have utopian ideas about humanity, but as I thought about it for a long time, I tended to fall on the side of yes. Yes, it would be ethical to at least be able to identify the people who are making decisions about us without caring about us at all because they're causing immense suffering and they're not even including us in their equations. It's not even in their operating system. So anyway, that is what I have. That is who the they are. I hope you can go forth now knowing how, or at least start practicing how to identify the sociopaths, the psychopaths, the lizard people, so that we can start uh, we can start to do something about this scourge upon humanity. Now, I'm not saying we should do anything violent or terrible to them. We just need to make sure they're not making decisions that affect the rest of us when our emotions are not being considered. Our lives are not being considered. Our health is not being considered. So anyway, go forth, consider those questions, internalize this, and root out the psychopaths in your life. <laughs> anyway, I chose a song for this week, and it is a, uh, well, let's just say American Psycho did it best. Um, and they they picked the perfect song for the murder scene in that movie. And so I will also play for you Hip to Be Square. It's a very it's a very psychopath song, isn't it? Because Huey Lewis in the news is like nothing music, right? Like, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Is it pop? I mean, it's kind of jazzy. Is it blue? It's a little bit of blues in there. It's like swing. It's got some swing elements. But really, it's just like generally non-offensive, adult-oriented album rock, right? It's everything and nothing all at once. And like, I don't trust people. I don't trust people who don't, um, who don't have opinions on music. It's a weird thing to me. You meet these people who are like, well, I just listen to everything. I just like it all. Oh, no, 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 no. That's creepy. <laughs> I don't trust those people. And so that's why Huey Lewis to me, Huey Lewis in the news feels like psychopath music. That being said, I kind of like Huey Lewis in the news. I must admit. So I don't think I'm a psychopath, but <laughs> I hope not anyway. I like Huey Lewis in the news. And, um, uh, um, you know, H- Huey, well, Hugh Anthony Craig III, a.k.a. Huey Lewis, um, he must be a pretty authentic and original person himself because you know the Ghostbusters song? <laughs> you know the Ghostbusters song, right? Well, Ray Parker Jr., the guy who made that song, he it's basically just I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis. So as the story goes, 
as the story goes, the producers of Ghostbusters actually played for Ray Parker Jr., the Huey Lewis and the News song, I Want a New Drug, and said, we want the theme song of the movie to sound like this. And so Ray Parker Jr. basically just took the song, the exact song, put different lyrics to it, and gave it back to them. And he's like, here's what you wanted. And um, and so anyway, there's a bunch of lawsuits that went back and forth about it. And um, in the end, uh, Huey Lewis won. And um, and so, yes, the in case you're wondering, the Ghostbusters song is I Want a New Drug uh, by Huey Lewis and the News. So go back and listen to him. You'll be like, holy shit, it's the same song. Anyway, that's not today's song, though. Today's song is It's Hip to Be Square. Because it is, right? It's hip to be square. I feel like it is. That's that's what the kids say these days, right? That's what the kids say. I know. I, I know. Because I'm hip, you know? I'm not square. <laughs> anyway, it has been quite long enough. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I know one thing is for sure. The heart of rock and roll is still beating. And to you, my dear listeners, I'm... So happy to be stuck with you. Uh, So until next time, see you later.